Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We are getting ready to launch a new series. We're getting ready to launch into a study of another uh, set of scriptures, another corner of God's Word for us. Uh, as we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews over the next several weeks. Um, a great opportunity to see what God has for us um, in that uh, beautiful, um, long, really, it's, it's set up almost like a sermon uh, penned by an anonymous author, uh, but we believe delivered to us by the Spirit of God so that we might know and understand more of who Christ is and how we can connect to Him. Um, But we're going to be looking at this over the next several weeks. But as we kind of begin our study today, I want to tell you guys a story. And this story is uh, some some true events that happened in my life back in 1994. In I was a student at OU, and I was invited to go on a fishing trip with some friends. Some of you know, have known me for a while, you know that I grew up with a golf club in my hand and not a fishing pole. And so the thought of going fishing for the weekend didn't hold a lot of inherent appeal at first, but it was an opportunity to spend time with some good friends and to eat some good food. And those two things win me every time. And so I decided to go with these friends to eat some food and to hang out for the weekend, uh, and we were going to go fishing. Well, our fishing trip was going to take us to northern Arkansas. Uh, along the White River, where we were going to fish for trout. And, um, you know, if, if you don't know where the, the White River is in, in northern Arkansas, know that it's very near a town named Flippin, Arkansas, um, known as, uh, or also home of the Flippin Church of God. Um, and you can, you can see a picture, there I was, um, that's, that's me up in the upper left uh, corner, um, for those of you who have been around uh, uh, Wildwood for a while, down in the bottom right, that's Ryan Eshelman. Um, you're saying, well, he still looks like he always has. What happened to you, Mark? But um, that was in 94, and we were, we were at, on this fishing trip in northern Arkansas fishing for trout. Now, the, the way that this fishing trip uh, kind of played out for us is that we would get in a boat, and you know, if you haven't been on a river lately, um, the water in the river moves. And so when you get on the boat uh, and, and you, you, you push off from the dock, you begin floating downstream. And kind of the, the pattern that we uh, you know, ran for that day was we were to, to go out and we'd float downstream and fish for trout, and then we would turn a little engine on on the boat and we'd drive back upstream and then we would turn that off and we'd float back downstream and we'd fish all the time. And we were going to repeat that process until we caught dinner. And so uh, that was the plan for the day. Well, about our second pass on the river, we ran into some problems. And our problem was that our engine did not work. Um, and so uh, as, as hard as we tried, we could not get that engine to fire up. And so, you know, again, the water is moving, and with every passing moment, we're getting further and further away from my friends and our food, which were the two whole reasons why I went on the trip. And so I knew that we had a problem, and the guy was on a, on a boat with Todd Stuman, some of you guys know, uh, he knew that we had a problem. We had to figure out a way to get ourselves back upstream. But the first thing we had to do was we had to stop the damage. And so we, we got a paddle out, and we, we paddled over to the side, and we grabbed onto a large branch, kind of anchoring ourselves there. 
Um, by, by grabbing on to something larger than ourselves, we were able to keep ourselves from drifting further away from our intended goal. You know, I tell you that story today because I think that there is some things that we can learn about our spiritual life and our relationship with the Lord from that story. You see, we live in a world that is not still water. Um, thank the Lord, right? We're not in still water. Um, sorry, I hadn't planned on saying that. It just kind of came out. Sorry, I know there's... Anyway. Um, okay, I got to recover. Um We don't live in a world that is static. We live in a world that is moving. We live in a world that has a current that is sweeping away from our God. And our problem is that at times we lose fervency in keeping ourselves anchored to Christ. At times we lose focus on our relationship with the Lord. And when we do, because the current of our times and the current of our flesh desires to sweep us away from the Lord. We can find ourselves drifting away from Him. And you know, if, if you have been in relationship with Christ for five years or more, I, I, I'm guessing that you know exactly what I'm talking about. That it's possible to find yourself at a point in your life, whether it's because of busyness at work or difficulties that you're going through or, or whatever, relational issues, whatever, you can find yourself, rather than actively pursuing the Lord, you find yourself at best treading water, but at worst, detached from your anchor, drifting away from Him. And, and you, you wake up one day and you go, how did I get here? Why is my relationship with God now cold? Why do I feel removed and distant from Him? And the reality is, it's because we have lost our focus and we've begun to drift. Well, to a group of people who are, po- or who are prone to drift away from the Lord, uh, the author of the book of Hebrews writes this letter and basically admonishes us over and over again through this letter to keep ourselves anchored to the rock of our salvation, to grab onto that which is bigger than us and to not lose our focus in Him. And that by doing that, we can avoid the unintended consequence of drifting downstream. We're going to be looking at that that point and that idea over the next several weeks, but we're going to begin that study today by looking at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 4. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. In our study of Hebrews today, we're going to see two things. Two things that will help us know a little bit more of what it means to anchor ourselves to the rock of our salvation, to keep our focus upon Him. Well, the first thing that we're going to see in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 is this. We're going to see that Jesus is the feature film and not a clip or a trailer. Jesus is the feature film of God's revelation, not just a clip or a trailer. Well, what do I mean by that? Before we even look at the verses, that kind of a statement requires some explanation. Uh, this last Friday night, uh, a very you know famous, popular movie came out. It was The Avengers, right? I mean, how many of you? Anybody here see The Avengers this weekend? Don't tell me about it. I, I want to see it. I've got a five-year-old in the house. We're very superhero intensive at the Robinson Place. Uh, looking forward to seeing the movie. 
Um, but I haven't seen it yet. But you know what? I have seen and heard a lot of things about the movie. I feel like forever this movie has been teased and advertised. And we had prequel movies that came out for years leading up to this day with little snippets at the ends kind of pointing to this movie. We've had clips on the internet and on late night talk shows that have told us different things about what was uh, going on with the, with, with the story. Um, we've seen trailers of the movie that have shown uh, at different times. In the halftime of the Super Bowl, there's a, there's a trailer for the Avengers. We've seen it online. You've seen it before other movies. I mean, we've had lots of things that we have heard about this movie for a long time. We've seen these snippets, these, these clips, and these trailers. And from those snippets, these clips, and these trailers, we can come to find out some things about the story. You know, we know that the Hulk is in it, and, and Iron Man, and Captain America, and Thor, and, and some other superheroes, right? We, we can tell some of the characters just by the, the, the chatter we've heard about the movie over the last number of days. Um, we, we, we can know that the genre of the movie is going to be one of kind of the action superhero variety. We, we know there's going to be some kind of supernatural kinds of things as they demonstrate these supernatural kind of powers to protect Metropolis or New York City or wherever the thing is going to be set. We know certain things about the movie based on the trailer and the snippets that have come out. But because we have seen these things in somewhat of an incomplete way and spread out over a number of years, our understanding of the movie is limited. We need to see the film in order to adequately understand what's really going on. And when the author of Hebrews writes about the revelation that we have received from God, he talks about it in very similar ways. He says, basically, that in the Old Testament time, we got snippets and clips and trailers about the feature presentation that was to come. In the Old Testament time, we, we heard hints and pictures and promises about a Savior that would one day be revealed. But in the Old Testament time, because that revelation came over such a long period of time and it came in a fragmented kind of a way, the people didn't have as clear a picture as we have now. As people who live now, having seen the full revelation of Christ revealed in the first century and recorded for us in Scripture, we've seen the feature film of God's revelation. The author says it this way. He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. For a long time, over a few thousand years, God was revealing Himself to His people through the nation of Israel, through the recording of Scripture. It happened over a long period of time. Trailers and clips and snippets that ultimately set the stage for the revelation of Christ. It was at many times. It wasn't, God didn't just show up on Mount Sinai with Moses and give him the entirety of the Old Testament. God revealed his scripture over an extended period of time, at least a thousand years. God is revealing truth long ago and at many times and in many ways. Sometimes he would do it through visions, sometimes he would do it through dreams, sometimes he would do it through the leading of somebody's spirit in an artistic form like the psalm. Sometimes he would speak through um, nature, the scripture talks about. Sometimes he would speak through um, a donkey's mouth like he did 
with Balaam. Sometimes he would speak through handwriting on the wall, like in the book of Daniel. But at different times and in different ways, God was communicating through this period of the Old Testament. He was giving snippets and clips and trailers. But lest we lose sight of the big story, God revealed Himself now in a new and a better way. Verse 2, but in these last days, the idea is the time in which we now live, the era of human history that includes the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ, and all of us who have lived after that time who look back on that day. It says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. The feature film presentation of the reality of who God is. You realize how special we are? It was the, the, the incredible gift that we've been given. We've not just been teased with the knowledge of God. We've been given the feature film presentation, the reality of who God is. And we know that it's the intent of the author to indicate that this new revelation is better than the last because he goes on and for two and a half verses, he, he's just going to expound about all of the reasons why. The revelation of Christ is so great. We get some of the, the finest, highest Christology in the New Testament in these next few verses, talking about the greatness of the Son. It says of the Son that He appointed, God appointed Him heir of all things. This is the idea that one day, as an inheritance, Jesus will have every knee bow before Him. He is preeminent over all creation. He is the one to whom everyone will bow at one point. He's the heir of all things. Through whom, through whom also, he says, the world was created. Jesus doesn't just have a future of creation bowing before him, but he has a past. Where in the time that we know of as the beginning, the Son already was. He's existed eternally, and he was the agent through which God created the world. He goes on, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Saying that if you have seen Christ, you have seen God. If we have read about the character and the person of Jesus Christ in Scripture, then we have a very clear understanding of who God is and what He is like. Jesus is an exact representation of of the Father, saying that the two are one. This, this word that is here translated, the exact imprint of His nature, that word is used here only in the, in the New Testament, but it's used a lot in other writings in antiquity to refer to like a, a mold that would be used to create an imprint on a coin or to create a statue or to create many coins and many statues that would all have the same look. The idea is that Jesus is the exact replica of the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. I was trying to think of a way to maybe anchor this truth home in my head, and I, I thought back to another event that happened in 94. I thought we began there. Let's just stay in that year. Um, and in, in, 90, in 94, I spent the summer in, in Lake Tahoe with Campus Crusade for Christ at a summer project. And, and while we were out there, the um, Planet Hollywood that was located in South Lake Tahoe, Nevada, opened up. 
And um, so while, when it opened up, one of the owners at the time, I have no idea if he's still an owner, but Arnold Schwarzenegger was one of the owners of uh, Planet Hollywood. And so Arnold was going to show up for the ribbon cutting. Well, I, you know, I wanted to see Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I went out that night as they're going to cut the ribbon and, and I look and, and there he was standing up in front of everybody was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I, I remember calling out to him and saying, Arnold, Arnold. And he, he looked kind of busy. He said, don't worry, Mark, I'll be back. No, <laughs> he never said that. Um, but he, he was, there he was. And you know what? I had never met the man, but I knew it was him. And you know why I knew it was him? Because he was an exact representation of the photos in the film that I'd seen of him. I didn't go, I wonder if that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. I went, there's the Terminator right there. Um, in, in the same way that when we see the person of Christ, the author of Hebrews says, we are seeing God himself. The radiance of his glory, veiled on this planet, but pulled the curtain back a little bit in Matthew 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration. If we were to see without the veil, Jesus is the radiance of the glory the exact imprint of his nature. It says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. It doesn't mean that he's like Atlas holding the earth on his shoulders, but it means that Jesus is advancing the earth towards its intended destination merely by the speaking of his will. The earth will get to the place that God has intended it merely by the work and the word of Christ. By his word, Jesus spoke the earth into existence. By his word, he healed people during his earthly ministry. And by his word, he is carrying forth this earth to its intended destination. It says that after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, Jesus in his work was not just to reveal God, but it was to create the opportunity for us to have relationship with God. Not just head knowledge, but real relationship because our sins might be forgiven. The the payment and the penalty for our sins might be purified. And it says that Jesus made purification for our sins, and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. High priests did not sit down in that day. And the reason why they didn't sit down was because there was so much sin and their sacrifices were so insufficient that they had to continually offer sacrifices in the temple. But Jesus offered his sacrifice once and then sat down because his work was complete as far as creating a sacrifice for our sins. See, we have the opportunity not just to know about God, not just to see the feature film, but actually to have a relationship with him because our sins are forgiven. He's created for us the purification of sins. And then lastly, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Angels were messengers of God's word. And this is the emphatic way that the author of Hebrews is saying the communication that we have from God through Christ is superior to anything we've ever gotten in the past. See, we have the feature film revelation of Christ. If we want to know God, we don't have to guess we can go and look at the revelation we have in Christ and believe and know that we are seeing God there. See, that is the, the message that has begun in the book of Hebrews. It's, it's encouraging all of us who have had this propensity to drift and, and to wander away, and we'll talk about more that, that more in just a minute. 
But it's encouraging all of us to, to focus and fixate back on the Savior because in Him, we have knowledge of God Himself. In Him, we have the opportunity for fellowship with God Himself. You know, if you're here today and you're thinking, I would love to have a deeper intimacy with God. I feel like my relationship with God has grown colder and you want it, you want it to grow warmer again. Or you're here today and you're just checking things out. You've never begun a relationship with God. The answer to all of those questions is Christ. If you want intimacy with God, if you want a relationship with Him, it's found in Christ, the one who offers payment for our sins and the one through whom the feature film of Revelation of God is is laid out. If we want to know God, we must go through Christ. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's in Him that we see God and that we relate to Him. But what do we do with that? You know, that, that's, that's a, an, an incredible reminder for us as believers. For us as people who are examining the truths of God, it's a great reminder for us of who Christ is and that God has revealed Himself through Him. But, but what do we do with that and, and what do we tend to do with it? Well, the answer to that comes over in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. You'll notice I'm skipping chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 1, verse 14. That's not because those are bad verses. It's because those nine verses basically support the statement that Jesus is is greater than the angels. I would encourage you to read them on your own. We don't have time to look at them this morning, but that's what they're there for. But over in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, we have the second point that I think we need to look at, and that is it, it describes what tends to happen to us in light of the fact that God has revealed himself to us. God's revealed himself to, himself to us in Christ, and yet we have a propensity to do something wrong with that revelation. And that is that we have a tendency to drift. And so the second thing we need to see from chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, is that we need to focus on the feature and avoid this drift. See that in chapter 2. Look at what it says in verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. These verses are like the life application section of the sermon he just preached in 1 to 4. The Spirit of God is is drawing our attention to a response and a danger in light of the truth that has been revealed to us. And that danger is not paying close attention to the truth and drifting away. Look at verse 1 again. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? Isn't that fascinating? He said that in, in mere Christianity. But I think Lewis is exactly right. You know, many times you'll hear stories of people who have 
uh, trusted Christ at some point in their upbringing, um, and then they go off to college. They, and the, the, the faith and the fervency that you saw in their life when they were 15, 16, 17 seems to be gone halfway through their sophomore year. And stories that are told among parents and friends at times is that that university asked a bunch of questions that they didn't have answers to, and it shook their faith. It's the idea that there is, is something external that is attacking them. And, you know, and for some people, it is an intellectual issue. But, you know, for the vast majority of people, I don't think it is. I don't think it's, it's some intellectual argument that moved them away from their faith. I just think they went off to school and they lost their focus. They went off to school and they stopped anchoring themselves in an active way to their Savior. They went off to school and they neglected the gospel. And over time, since they don't remain static and since the world has a current that is moving away from God, they just began to drift away from Him. So the fervency you saw younger is not there when they're older. And that's not something that is just unique to college students, is it? That's something that goes on in our lives. No, I think a lot of times you've been a Christian for a while, you think that you can coast for a while in your relationship with Him. Like a kid riding a bike on hills. You know, I get to the top of the hill, I'm just going to coast for for a few months, for a few years. I've read a lot of Scripture, I'm not going to read anymore. I've prayed a lot of prayers, I'm not going to pray anymore. You know, I've I've been to a lot of small groups, I'm not going to go anymore. I've, I've been to a lot of sermons, I don't need another one. And we begin to lose our attentiveness to the truth. And when we begin to lose our attentiveness to the truth and we try to coast, we don't remain static, we actually begin to drift further away from Him. And we know this. This is things that we have experienced, each of us, in our lives. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says that we need to be careful to pay close attention to the message that we've heard Otherwise, we will drift away from the message, and by consequence, we will drift away from him. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, more spiritual problems are caused by neglect than perhaps by any other failure on our part. We neglect God's word, prayer, worship with God's people, and other opportunities for spiritual growth, and as a result, we start to drift. See, verse verse 3 says it very clearly. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Our problem when we begin to drift is that we begin neglecting the truth that we believe. We we, we stop actively investing in it through our personal schedules, through the things that we think about, the people we associate with, all of those kinds of things. When we dislodge ourselves from an active connection to the truth, we begin to drift away from Him. And what's fascinating about it is, as he, as he talks about this neglect that leads to a, a drift, is he talks about some consequences that come when that happens. Look at what it says. He says in verse 2, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The idea here is that when God revealed the clips and the snippets and the trailers in the Old Testament to His people, He held them accountable 
for that message that they had received. Though it was in many times and in many ways over a number of years, and it wasn't near as clear as the revelation we have in Christ, God held the people of Israel accountable for what they knew about Him. And as they disobeyed and walked away from what they knew about the Lord, as they neglected that relationship, God initiated some consequences in their life. It's interesting, God didn't sever His relationship with Israel. God didn't kick them to the curb and say, enough of you, I will never have a relationship with you again. But Israel experienced consequences when they neglected the truth that they had received. And what the author of Hebrews is is saying here is he says, look, if if God held the people accountable for a lesser revelation, how much more so will God hold us accountable for the revelation of the feature film that is Christ. The implication and the idea is that absolutely God will hold us accountable if we neglect the truth that He's revealed to us. Now, when we hear that and when we say that, uh, immediately we want to, we know enough Scripture that we want to say, I thought there was no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I thought that the full penalty of our sins was taken care of and that there was nothing we could do that would ever make God upset any longer. And we want to to, to run to those notions and try to somehow have this passage of Scripture that talks about consequences of neglecting our salvation, consequences of neglecting our relationship with God, that somehow those consequences don't apply to believers. But I don't think the author of the book of Hebrews gives us that opportunity. He doesn't give us that luxury. What does he say in verse 3? How shall who? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He throws himself right into that mix. And the author of this book is clearly a believer, clearly someone who knows Christ. So what does it mean that you and I could experience consequences in our life if we neglect the truth that has been revealed to us. Well, I think that part of it is helpful to look at God's dealings with Israel. Again, when when Israel, who received the the clippets and the snippets and the trailer, when they neglected that, God didn't say, I will have no relationship with you any longer. But they did experience consequences in their fellowship, in their worship, in their relationship with Him. I think the same thing holds true for us. When we fail to take an active role in anchoring ourselves to the rock of our salvation, when we fail to take an active role in focusing on the person and the work of Christ, that consequences do come in our lives. Some of those, the author of Hebrews is not specific about what they are, but we can make some guesses. Some of them might be just a loss of intimacy in our relationship with Him. That would be a consequence of not you know, of drifting, as we drift away from that close fellowship. Some of them could be consequences of experiencing, um, you know, the, the, the sinful conduct of our lives. At times, you know, in, there are earthly consequences that come in our lives because of our sin. You know, we, we make some bad choices and we have some temporal consequences right now. Not in eternity, but, but in the here and now. And maybe that's some of what he has in mind. Maybe it is that if we are neglecting our relationship with God, that God will intervene in history and deal with us in such a way to try to get our attention through some kinds of circumstances so that we might 
draw back near to him. The author doesn't get explicit with it, but he's very clear that consequences result from failing to anchor ourselves to Christ, from neglecting Him and drifting away. And you know what? If we're truthful and honest with ourselves, many of us, including me, have experienced that, where we have coasted in our spiritual life for a while, and suddenly we wake up one day downstream wondering, how are we going to get how do we get back? I think that the key is the key of focus. The, the key is the key of, of activity. Um, that we God wants us to play an active role in keeping our focus on Christ and not neglecting our relationship with Him. And the way that we do that many times is through what are known as spiritual disciplines. Things like reading your Bible and prayer and worship and, and a number of other things. Those are the kinds of spiritual disciplines that help us. And here's here's what's so powerful to remember. The spiritual disciplines of of Scripture reading and prayer and and, uh, fellowship with others, those kinds of things, those are not means of our sanctification. They are not things through which we earn our way back to God. But those things are means of focus. Scripture and prayer and fellowship are means by which we focus on the God who desires to sanctify us. They are, they are things that, that help anchor us on the shore while the, the engine of the Holy Spirit within us drives us back upstream so that we can resume fellowship with the God that we love. And if you find yourself adrift this morning, know that the response that God is calling forth from you and from me is to focus back on Him. And, and the disciplines of, of Scripture and prayer and fellowship are three, I would, I would say, at, at the start. Make a commitment this summer to fellowship with other believers. Make a commitment this summer to read God's Word. Read the book of Hebrews as we're going through it. Get in a Bible reading plan. It doesn't matter. It's all revelation from God. But, but, but go in and, and, and exercise that discipline. Spend time in prayer with the Lord. All of those things are means of focus by which we look to the Lord who drives us upstream to be with Him. Now, we've begun our study of the book of Hebrews. And it's an incredible story for us who have been believers for a while. You know, when, when this book was written, there were people who had had a relationship with the Lord, some of, some of them for probably 30 years at the time this book was And the author of Hebrews simply says, keep your focus back on Christ. My encouragement to us as we begin this study is let's keep our focus back on Him and not drift down the road. Father, I just want to thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you that you have, have initiated with us and revealed this incredible blessing of knowledge of your Son. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be people who would not just have some past experience trusting in Christ, but that we would daily focus on Him. That you would give us the faith to to walk daily in these disciplines, focusing on Him, that we might not drift downstream. Father, I pray 
that you would guide us, um, not just in our public time here, but in our private moments this week to focus on you. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name.